So today we begin a brand new study in our growth class. Uh, Those who are going to be teaching this class are using the book Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, If you've never heard of it, that's fine. If you don't have it, that's fine. If you do have it, you're welcome to read along. But we're opening a study today of issues that relate to the will of God. So you tell me real quick, what do you think of when somebody says the phrase, discerning God's will? What comes to your mind? That it's in the Bible, says Kelly. Somebody else? Where do I live? Where do I live? What should I do? Good. Any other thoughts that come to your mind when you think of discerning the will of God? Christian mysticism. Christian mysticism. Okay. Somebody else? What questions do you have about the will of God when you think about that topic? I think one I have, Pastor, is if, if I'm pleasing God, it's the direction my life is pleasing Him. Okay. So Bill, Bill brings in there, I, I wonder, you know, when I think about the will of God, it's, is the direction my life is going pleasing to the Lord? Somebody else? When you have a question about the will of God, what do you, what, what do you, what do you think? Am I doing what God wants me to be doing? Good. Kevin DeYoung starts his book with some thoughts about young adults. Now, again, some of you are not young adults. Some of you are quite not young adults. But I think where he focuses with this can help us to get started thinking about how people often think about the will of God. And he says that a lot of young adults in the world are on what he calls a long road to nowhere. And by that, he means that there are a lot of folks that are tinkering with all sorts of things in life, but they're not committing to doing much of anything. Have you guys guys seen in the world that there are a lot of people messing about with this and with that, but aren't actually making decisions and just rolling forward with growing up? What do you think? Does that happening in our culture still? Or is it out of date in DeYoung's book? You think it's in, in our culture today already? Okay. Think about people are waiting longer and longer before they make major life decisions. What age do people get married at anymore? 2018. Yeah, 20, 2018 is a fine age for people to get married. But, but what's the, does anybody know what the averages are right now? I, I think it's 28 for women and like 29 or something like that for men, 29 or 30 for men. I could be wrong. It's, it's in that range. Y'all, that's a long time. And there's a lot of temptations and pressures that come on people's lives. Oh, let's say between the age of 13 and 29, wouldn't you say? So there are a lot of people who are bouncing around between, I don't know what I want to be. I don't know what I don't want to do. I don't know about whom to marry. And, and they don't make decisions. And one of the things that we see is some people will use a seeking of the, quote, will of God as a reason for their lack of making significant life choices. Tell me, have you ever felt paralyzed in trying to make a decision because you thought you needed to know the will of God and you couldn't figure it out? Yeah, it has happened. You want to talk about it or just want to say yes? It's okay either way. That's enough. Okay, he's fair. I don't, I don't think he's wrong there because some, some of this stuff can be pretty darn personal. But what about the rest of you? Is Jason the only one who's ever felt paralyzed wondering, I don't know what the will of God is? No, he's not. A lot of us do that, right? What is it about modern life in the modern world that makes decision-making harder? Why are decisions hard to make today? Okay, too many choices. When I lived in Korea, when we wanted to go to the store and buy shampoo, 
you know, with labels that we could read, there were probably two or three choices on the shelf. How many shampoos are on the shelf at Walmart today? Yeah, precisely. Decision-making was harder. Um, but would you guys agree that the, that the plethora of choices and options in front of you can make decision-making difficult? Sure, right? Okay. What else might make decision-making difficult? We're lazy. We just don't want to make decisions. That's true, right? We're scared we'll be wrong. How many of you have not made a decision because you were afraid you might be wrong? Yeah, that happens to us a lot, doesn't it? Now, y'all, there are a mountain of books in the bookstores, which means Amazon now, on the will of God and how a Christian should learn and discern the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? And I think we can imagine why they're so popular, can't we? We're scared There's tons of options. People are putting off decisions. They don't want to be wrong. We're trying to figure it out. Kevin DeYoung says, too many of us have passed off our instability, inconsistency, and endless self-exploration as looking for God's will. As if not making up our minds and meandering through life are marks of spiritual sensitivity. What do you think? Do you think DeYoung could be right? Yeah. I think people do use not knowing the, quote, will of God as an excuse not to move. I'm skipping some notes here because it's not, we've already kind of covered it. What we're jumping into here, that, that pretty much is your introductory thought for this book. But now let's start talking about the will of God, chapter 2 is the, t- I love the title, The Will of God in Christianese. How many of you can speak Christianese? What are some words that show up when you speak Christianese? Hedge of protection, absolutely. <laughs> How many of you have hedges around your house that are protecting it right now? No, there's not. <laughs> I like it when people ask for God to put a hedge of protection around somebody's car. Where's it going to go? Anyway, no. Hedge of protection is one. What's another one that, that's just Christianese? A wonderful, wonderful plan for your life. You can live your best life now, right? Uh, what? He's, not, he's upset about this whole thing. What are some decisions people make where they believe they need to know the will of God? Buying a house? Good. House, spouse, Anthony's job, job. yep, go to college, absolutely, starting a family, family. yep, what church do you go to? Think about this from different stages of life. If you were a high school student, what is something you might let yourself believe? I've got to know what God wants me to do and I can't figure it out. Job, which college to go to, Andrew? What to major in in college, absolutely. All right. What if you're a college student? What might you be stressing about? Oh, I need God to tell me. Job again. Sure. Should I change my major? Perhaps dating could get involved at this point, right? Uh, you know, again, start walking through life. What about a 40-year-old? What might a 40-year-old need the will of God? 401 case. What's a 401k? Um, you know, we, we think about that. Again, home ownership. Should we move? Should I take a job that would move me to another city? Uh, what about a 65-year-old? What, what, what will of God question might a 65-year-old want to know? <laughs> okay. Oh, there's supplements. and. <laughs> what about that insurance that Shaq's advertising? Should I get into that? So here's the question. If God has a wonderful plan for my life, how can I discover what it is? DeYoung says this. A lot of books have been written trying to answer this basic question. And my answer may not be what you expect from a will of God book. My answer is not original to me, but it's quite simple and I hope quite biblical. 
I'd like us to consider that maybe we have difficulty discovering God's wonderful plan for our lives because if the truth be told, he doesn't really intend to tell us what it is. And maybe we're wrong to expect him to. DeYoung also says, The will of God is one of the most confusing phrases in the Christian vocabulary. Sometimes we speak of all things happening according to God's will. Other times, we talk about being obedient and doing the will of God. And still other times, we talk about finding the will of God. The confusion is due to our using the phrase, the will of God, in at least three different ways typified in those three sentences. Two of these ways are clearly demonstrated in Scripture. The third is a little more complicated. So, do you guys, does that make sense to you that sometimes we use the word will of God and we are meaning different things by the phrase? Yes, he agrees, and that's what I wanted. First, speaking of the will of God, God always gets his way. That, that's almost like a point, right? I feel like I just made a sermon point. God always gets his way. If we study scripture, we will see that there are two sides to the will of God. DeYoung says, if we examine the Bible, we see that God's will has two sides to it. On the first side is God's will of decree. This refers to what God has ordained. Everything that comes to pass is according to God's sovereign decree and all that God decrees will ultimately come to pass. God's will of decree cannot be thwarted. It is immutable and fixed. God is sovereign over all things. Nature and nations, animals and angels, spirits and Satan, wonderful people and wicked people, even disease and death. To steal a line from Augustine, The will of God is the necessity of all things. In other words, what God wills will happen. And what happens is according to God's will. That's what I mean by God's will of decree. Does that make sense? Okay. I need some readers. Owen, you ready? Look, Look at, watch the guys, okay? Who will read Ephesians 1 verse 11? Okay, there's one, but don't go yet because there's more. I need someone who will read Matthew 10, 29, and 30. And, okay, Anthony. Okay, Acts 4, 27, and 28. There's three, okay. Psalm 139, verse 16. Andrew's got it. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. All right, there we go. You guys all remember what you said you would take? Don't say yes if you're not going to remember what you're looking up. Y'all ready? Okay, let's see what we learn about the will of God in these five passages. Ephesians 1.11. Who's got that? Okay, go for it. Bring, bring, take him to the mic and let him go, Oh. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay. Did you guys hear that? What does God work according to the counsel of his will? All things. So hear me, hear scripture. All things occur in accord with the counsel of God's will. This is clearly the will of decree. Now you tell me, what does that tell you about the will of God? Will of God always happens. Now let me ask you, does this include small things or big things? All things. That's pretty important, right? Okay, who's got Matthew 10, 29, and 30? Go. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. All right. What does that tell us about the will of God? He knows everything, says Kay. He pays attention to the small things that don't seem important. And do, do any small things happen 
outside of his will? Not even one little bit. He has the hairs of your head numbered. Anthony, does that impress you? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> I'm a funny guy. Uh, he's got your eyebrow hairs counted. There you go. Your beard hairs. Ben, how do you feel about the fact that the Lord knows every hair in a man's beard? It gives me great comfort. Yes, it would, wouldn't it? That's so good. So, um, what does this tell us? Uh, well, let me just ask you this. Do you feel like the, the couple of things we just said, when we talk about the will of God, how many people immediately would be like, that's not what I'm talking about? That's usually what they're saying right now, isn't it? But we need to get that this is how the Bible uses the term. Ben, you've got Acts 4, 27, 28? Yep. Go for it. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay. Again, now you tell me, what does that teach us about the will of God? It's done. It's going to be done. What else does it, what else, what rings out to you like, whoa, when you hear this one? Does the will of God only include good things? Apparently, God is, God's able to accomplish in his will, his will doing or using things that are not good. What would it say to us about God living in the real world if God's will could only include pleasant things? What would that say to us? Yeah, he's not winning, is he? So obviously, if the will of God his will of decree is that which is always done and nothing can thwart it, it must mean that even the rough things are in accord with his ultimate will. Kevin DeYoung writes, Every human lamentation and woe must look to the cross, for there we see the problem of evil answered, not in some theoretical sense, but by pointing us to an all-powerful God who works all things for good. Shocking as it sounds, the most heinous act of evil and injustice ever perpetrated on the earth, the murder of the Son of God, took place according to God's gracious and predetermined will. If you miss that, you miss a ton about who God is. All right, who's got Psalm 139.16? Get her done. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. All right, somebody tell me, what does that verse tell us about the will of God? It was determined before me before I was even born. Good. What else? I will not die one second too early or too late from what he has already determined is going to happen. No matter how your husband feels, (laughs) you will not die one second too early or too late. It's true. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yes. Uh-huh. Wait, do I have to use this? Yes, okay. you do. All right. Okay. Um, when it says, but by pointing us to an all-powerful God who works all things for good. Uh-huh. Now, if we truly believe that statement uh-huh. when it coincides with Scripture, then why are we so concerned about doing the wrong thing if our hearts are right and we prayed about it and we desire God to show us the way. Okay. Well, Kay's done with the class now. Uh, that's, that's the thing, right? This is the rub we should start feeling, isn't it? That God is sovereign. God's got this. 
And I don't have to be paralyzed because the will of God will be done. So you're right on. You're thinking exactly on the lines. Yes. I, uh, amen to Kay. I think that's exactly right. But I, I think we hear a lot from in Christian circles, not necessarily Providence. Yeah. But, Back to Christianese, yes. Uh, but you hear things like the wrong door mentality, like, well, I, if I make a decision and it leads to something bad, then uh, I really wasn't in God's will. I made the wrong choice, and now mm-hmm. there are consequences. And there's a lot of bad thinking and, and bad theology behind the, this topic when people talk about God's will. So I, I think Kate's absolutely right, but I think in just everyday life we're bombarded by really bad thinking, which is really underpinned by, by bad theology on this topic. There you go. That's exactly right. That's because they don't go to Reformed churches, says Kay. <laughs> But by, by the way, I know that when I first moved here, our church's little tagline was, uh, what was it? Abiding in Christ for the glory of God. I'm actually going to make a motion that we just change it to amen to K. Uh, <laughs> what would K do? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what were you going to say, buddy? <laughs> um, I think we're touching on that idea, too, of the difference between worry and concern. Uh-huh. And the fact that um, when you worry, you're basically not trusting in the sovereignty of God. Right. And that's what a lot of Christians can find themselves worrying about, like worrying about the will of God, rather than having a concern, I want to make the best decision here, do my research, and then just move forward with what you have. That's good. You're right. I got one more verse for us to do, and we can keep talking this through, but who's got Isaiah 46, 9 and 10? Was that Jonah? Uh, Bill. Bill. Bill's got it. I knew it was a guy in the back, and my brain had already gone. Uh, Isaiah 46, uh, 9 and 10. Yeah. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Go one more verse. Oh, sorry. Uh, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. See why I wanted that next verse? What does that tell us about the will of God? It's going to be done. When you think about the will of God, you've got to have this category in mind at least to start with. We will come around and talk about the other issues, but this has to be at the center. De Young says, God knows all things and sovereignly superintends all things. God's will of decree is absolute. It is from before the creation of the world. It is the ultimate determination over all things, and it cannot be overturned. While we may or may not understand it all, guys, can we agree Scripture teaches God's sovereign will of decree that God is over all, knows all things, oversees all that comes to pass, even hardships, even darknesses, even evils are tools in the hands that the Lord will use to accomplish his perfect will. Are we all willing to buy that? That gets us started really well. What would it say about God if things could happen outside of the will of decree? He's not God, says Kay. He's not in control, says Ben. So if I was one of those teachers with a whiteboard... And I'm not, because I have a blackboard technically, huh? Um, If I drew a big old circle up on the board and said, let's call this God's will of decree, and I asked you, bless you, and I asked you, what can happen outside of that circle? Bless you again. Nothing can go outside of that circle. The will of God, in that sense, is always, always done. That's important. If we had a God who could not stop a thing from happening or cause a thing to happen, we don't have God. No. Let me read to you from the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, for those who like that year. Chapter 3, first two paragraphs say this. From all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs 
without reference to anything outside of himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with any in their sin. This decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes. On the contrary, these are established by God's decree. In this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in directing all things, and his power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing his decree. God knows everything that could happen under any given conditions. However, His decree of anything is not based on foreseeing it in the future or foreseeing that it might occur under such conditions. That's a pretty big deal, don't you think? All right, so we've talked for a moment about God's sovereign will of decree. I think you guys understand God is sovereign over all. Nothing happens outside of his will. What's the old Sproul quote? There, there cannot be even one maverick molecule in all the universe or God is not God. That's where we are. So now let's talk about a second kind of will of God. DeYoung refers to it here saying, just saying God points out the way. DeYoung calls the second category for the will of God, he uses the phrase will of desire. If you're a note taker, you should at least have will of decree written down somewhere. Will of desire is the second category. If you ask me outside of the DeYoung book what I would call it, I wouldn't use that word. I use it will of command. So you can call it will of command. You can call it will of desire. DeYoung wants to alliterate his words, and that's why it's decree, desire. He'll use the word direction later. God's will of command, God's will of desire, is the will of God that tells us how things should be in accord with his standard of righteousness. We call it the will of command because it refers to what God has commanded us to do, but which he will not sovereignly make come to pass. Now, right now, I want to ask you, please avoid mentally going down, debating the issue of the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. The Bible tells us God is fully in control, but God is never guilty of sin, never, never the cause or never, never forcing us to sin. God may decree that man sins, but God is not the author of that sin. That's a heavy topic. It's a big philosophical discussion. There's big philosophical answers that have been given to it that we are not going to take time to go to now because we've got more work to do than that. DeYoung says this, quote, Both sides of God's will are in Scripture. God's will of decree, what he has predetermined from eternity past, cannot be thwarted. God's will of desire, the way he wants us to live, can be disregarded. So I want us to look at some passages that talk to us about the will of God and see what they show us. I need readers who haven't read yet I need 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Who's going to get it? Jason's got it. I need Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Joe, thank you. Matthew 7, 21. Oh, I heard two. Who's got it? Doug's got it. All right. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh-oh. I had, that was even. Eric, Eric's, t- Eric's claiming it. All right. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is for you, Eric. Okay. You ready? Let's listen and let's see what these verses tell us about the will of God. I think Jason was first, right? With 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I am. Go. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right. What do we see about the will of God here? And how is this will of God different than what we just said about the will of God in the last section? Sure. But does he always make it happen? This looks like something you can do or not do, doesn't it? You guys see that? 
Because it says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. What does that tell you could happen? There could be someone who does not do the will of God and does not abide forever. DeYoung says, the will of God in this passage does not refer to the way God ordains things, but to the way God commands us to live. Walking in the will of God for the Apostle John is the opposite of worldliness. Doing the will of God means we say no to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and our pride in possessions. Hebrews Hebrews 13, who's got that one? I do. 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equipped you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. If we do God's will, what do we do in this passage? We do what is pleasing in God's sight. But is it always that people always make choices that are pleasing in the sight of God? No. Does every person always live in such a way that God is pleased? Do you? you, How many of you live in such a way that you know God is pleased every choice you make? Mm, No takers? All right, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All right. Again, what does this tell us about the will of God? Do all people do this will of God? How do we know? Because not everybody enters the kingdom of God, do they? What would it say to us if this will was always done? Universalism. But we know that's not true. All right, my favorite verse, probably most helpful of this whole discussion is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Eric's got that one. The secret the things one. belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And we may do all the words of this law. Okay. Could you guys hear that one? Because okay, I said something over you at the beginning. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What is revealed is for us and for our children that we might do all the words of this law. Let me ask you, what does this verse teach you about the will of God? There's some things that are secret and and some are revealed. So which will of God is revealed in this verse? The answer is Deuteronomy 29. 29 gives us a little bit of both. We see God's sovereign will of decree in that verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But we also see the will of command or the will of desire in this verse. What's revealed is for us and for our children that we might obey the words of this law. There is a secret will of God. There is a revealed will of God. And they are not necessarily exactly the same thing. DeYoung says, This is the closest we come to finding the will of decree and the will of desire side by side in the same verse. God has secret things known only to him, his inscrutable purposes and sovereign will, but he also has revealed things we're meant to know and obey, his commands and his word. What we need to know, he has revealed in his word. That's good. So what have we seen so far? God has a will of decree. It is his sovereign, secret will. If we drew the big circle, that's the will that everything that ever happens, happens inside of. We don't generally know this will of God until it has already taken place. It always happens. It always happens. God sovereignly makes sure it happens. But you could draw a smaller circle inside the big circle and call it God's will of command. And this includes things that sometimes happen and sometimes don't. It has to do with how does God command his children to live. It has to do with righteousness. And it is 
always revealed to us by God in His Word. His commands are His will. It's important that we affirm those two categories of the will of God. Decree and desire. Sovereign and command. However you want to say it. Secret or revealed. It's important that you know the difference between those wills. So I'm going to make a statement. You tell me which will of God we're talking about. God said, let there be, and things came into being. Which decree is that? Decree or desire? It's decree. God said it and it happened. Was there a choice? No. Decree or desire? Okay. God did not want Adam to eat of the fruit. Okay? Desire, command, right? It's, it's the will that says it could happen or it won't. It might not. Okay. Decree or desire. God would have Christ die for our sins. That's decreed by God. It's going to happen. It, nothing could have stopped it. Okay. Decree or desire. Men should not murder an innocent man. That's desire. Do men ever murder innocent men? Yeah. (laughs) Decree or desire. (laughs) People should not, Christians should not marry non-Christians. Desire. Decree or desire. Travis married Mitzi. Some of you are not playing this game very well. Thank you, Ben. That's why Ben's an elder. It's the will of decree. It happened. There wasn't a command that I do it. But now that it's done, obviously, Mitzi is the woman God has for me to marry. Because I married her. See that worked? Lucky, lucky girl. Oh, poor thing. God's sovereign will, God's will of decree, his, it's his. It belongs to God. It's often kept secret from us until it occurs. But God's commands, God's desires are spelled out for us in Scripture as he tells us how to behave and how not to behave. Whoops, stop talking phone. Okay, what's missing in those, in in the things I've just said that many people out there are chasing after? Free will, perhaps. But, I mean, people by their free will disobey God's will of command, right? What's missing? Direction. Direction. Someone's read the book. But it's true, right? Yeah, The question people always want here is, but what about God's specific plan for my life? What does he want me to do? What about, I got two houses I could buy. One's on maple and one's on oak. Which one should I get? That's what people want to know the answer to so often. So the third question is, does God have a specific plan for your life? Many people are not at all satisfied with knowing that God has a will of sovereign decree that will always take place and a will of command that's spelled out in Scripture. They want something more. They want, they want from God a will of direction. An individual will about the decisions that we make, every action we make, every, every, every choice we make. We want God to tell us yes or no, good or bad. It'll succeed, it wouldn't succeed. That's what we want. Think about the questions. Huh? Do we see that in Scripture? No. Did all the biblical characters, you know, want to know direction? No. no. Isn't that lovely? But how often is this the thing that is run up the flagpole as will of God discussion? Unless you're at a Reformed church that says amen to Kay. On the, <laughs> she's right. <laughs> well, you have a lot of <laughs> 
It's called scripture, doggone it. What, I mean, think about the questions that we ask that have to do with, quote, an individual will of direction. What college does God want me to go to? Or what, what career path does God want me to take? Or which house does God want me to buy? Or which car does God want me to buy? Or, or which brand of laundry detergent really will get my whites whiter and my brights brighter? And whom does God want me to marry? And should, should we have another kid or not? And what sports team should we root for? Absolutely. See, Anthony knows. DeYoung says, we want to know his individual specific plan for the who, what, where, when, and how of our lives. We want his direction. So here's the real heart of the matter. Does God have a secret will of direction that he expects us to figure out before we do anything? And the answer is no. Yes, God has a specific plan for our lives. And yes, we can be assured that he works things for our good in Christ Jesus. And yes, looking back, we'll often be able to trace God's hand in bringing us to where we are. But while we are free to ask God for wisdom, he does not burden us with the task of divining his will of direction for our lives ahead of time. The second half of that last sentence is crucial God does have a specific plan for our lives, but it's not one he expects us to figure out before we make a decision. I'm not saying God won't help you. It's called wisdom, and we'll talk about that in chapter 8. I'm not saying God doesn't care about your future. I'm not saying God isn't directing your path and in control amidst the chaos of your life. I believe in providence with all my heart. What I'm saying is that we should stop thinking of God's will like a corn maze or a tightrope or a bullseye or a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Andrew, what's a choose-your-own-adventure novel? It's pretty much when you have a novel that you actually have a choice. It says, turn to this page if you choose this. Turn to that page if you choose... Did you just get hit with a microphone? (laughs) What happens... So so in a choose-your-own-adventure novel... You have a choice. Go into the cave or don't go into the cave. What will happen if it's the right choice? It's usually a good ending. Yeah. What happens if it's the wrong choice? A bad one. You die. I mean, you know, bottom line is you die. Right? Do you guys think that that's how God is working our lives? Oh, I really wanted to bless Bill, but doggone it. He turned to page 28. I really wanted to bless Vanessa, but doggone it. She's stuck with Bill. I mean, but how many people live like that's exactly what we're, what we're doing? Yes. <laughs> is there possibly it's, at the root of that? The, the microphone is inevitable. Yeah. Is possibly, do you think, I mean, the reason why we want to know everything before we make a decision is ultimately maybe not trusting the Lord. We have maybe pride or something where... Abraham didn't know where he was going. God said go, and he went. And he didn't know where he was going, but he knew the one that did know. And we are the children of Abraham, and we have the faith of Abraham. And so, um, well, our faith is from Christ, but it's the same. So I just think, I I sometimes think maybe it's from us not trusting the Lord. I'm trying to get to the root, like in my mind. Fear is, is right there. And honestly, it's not just fear. Sometimes it's fear of displeasing God, but that's not always it. Very often, it's fear of hardship. It's, it's that awful, awful book, The Prayer of Jabez, that says, protect me from pain, that I, or protect me from harm that I may not feel pain. Show me the direction to go so I don't have pain, God. That's what is so... And it's other books where, where people have falsely said that they draw the big circle of the will of decree, they draw the littler circle of the will of command, and they put a dot in the center of the will of command and say the way that you know you're really doing it right is when you're in the dead center of God's will. And let me tell you something, there is no center of God's will. But people are hunting after that dot because it's been taught in church after church after church. It also, by the way, Vanessa, is the root of, it's the result of the charismatic movement. This was not part of the life of the church in the days of the reformers. You never heard Martin Luther be like, I just need to know which thing God wants me to do today. Just get up and get your work done. Glorify God. Glorify God. Obey his commands. So, 
DeYoung says, many of us fear we'll take the wrong job or buy the wrong house or declare the wrong major or marry the wrong person and suddenly our lives will blow up. We'll be out of God's will, doomed to spiritual, relational, and physical failure. Or to put it in Christianese, we'll find ourselves out of the center of God's will. We'll miss God's best and have to settle for an alternate ending to our lives. The idea that we're supposed to figure out the will of God for ourselves in non-moral decisions, decisions that are not based on the commands of God, it's modern. That talk is not present in the old, old Christian books. The rise of the charismatic movement with the emphasis on you getting a new word of revelation from God outside of the Bible, that is what's influencing the thinking of so, so many modern believers today. And what we're going to study in this book is that the conventional, which meaning today, the modern charismatic method for discerning the individual will of God for your life, it's flawed and it will lead people to fear, to indecision, to superstition. That's the danger. So the conclusion, I want to read the conclusion of chapter 2 from DeYoung. This conventional understanding is the wrong way to think of God's will. In fact, expecting God to reveal some hidden will of direction is an invitation to disappointment and indecision. Trusting in God's will of decree is good. Following his will of desire is obedient. Waiting for God's will of direction is a mess. It's bad for your life harmful for your sanctification, and allows too many Christians to be passive tinkerers who strangely feel more spiritual the less they actually do. God's not a magic eight ball we shake up and peer into every time we have a decision to make. He's a good God who gives us brains, shows us the way of obedience, and invites us to take risks for him. We know God has a plan for our lives. That's wonderful. The problem is we think he's going to tell us the wonderful plan before it unfolds. We feel like we can know and need to know what God wants every step of the way. But such preoccupation with finding God's will, as well-intentioned as the desire may be, is more folly than freedom. The better way is the biblical way. Seek first the kingdom of God and then trust that he'll take care of our needs even before we know what they are or where we're going. That's the end of chapters one and two for discussion. What do you all think so far? You ready to go? I think this will be useful, don't you? Yes. Okay, so, so Eric is bringing up the white and black rocks. First of all, you use us to play the game Othello. That's what they're for. Uh, it's a great game. It's, it's kind of complicated. It's, you know, but uh, in the Old Testament, we had the priests with Urim and Thummim, right? What were they getting when they did that? They were actually getting direct divine revelation from God. God was commanding them what to do. The reason we don't rely on that anymore is because we don't need it anymore because God has given us the scriptures completed. So now we know every command God has for us and the Holy Spirit to lead us toward wisdom so that we'll make choices that are fitting with the commands that God's given us. So that's why we don't have to do that anymore. Yes. I have a comment to Vanessa's earlier question on, and I think it ties to the, the charismatic and the free will uh-huh. Uh, there can be people with good intentions, but there can be people with bad intentions, too. And, you betcha. And I, I think people can use the will category to justify what they want to do. And I, I was thinking of the scripture in James chapter 4, uh, starting verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I I think oftentimes, and I've seen this in charismatic circles, you can use this whole will issue to basically say, well, we have free will and I I have the freedom to do this and to to do that. And we Mm -hmm. know that that's not a license to sin, Uh, but it's, it's 
it, it can be used to ba basically mask and, and cover up uh, just making yes. our own choices without regard to God. And yes. I think James gives a practical thing here. You just, if you know the right thing to do it, you're supposed to do it. Do it, yeah. And if you don't, that's sin. You know, another negative, and we'll talk about this over the next several weeks. The way we're going to do this book, this was chapters one and two. We'll do one chapter a week, Lord willing, for the next several weeks up until nine. We'll do nine and ten as a unit because ten is a very short conclusion, like chapter one was a very short intro. So that's how this is going to go over the next little bit. But we'll, So we'll have a lot of time to talk about this stuff more. But another thing that's a, that's a negative is how many of you have heard somebody power play other people by saying they know the will of God? I've, I, I, I could name for you a pastor who I watched stand in front of a church and say, I prayed and I know God wants us to build this building, so you need to give. Gets to use the, quote, will of God and just manhandle the people. But it's dangerous. Very, very dangerous. No, I'm just saying, one I'm specifically thinking of. So, y'all, we need to be careful now, again, by the way, that pastor's intentions weren't bad. He, genu he genuinely believed it was a wise and good thing to do. The problem was he declared to the church God told him his will. That's dangerous. He, he conflated a wisdom call with a will of command. And, again, we can get into trouble there. All right, we don't have time to do more, guys. I hope you're excited about this. One last thing before we go. Uh, when you think about this topic, it may be that one of you in this room, some of you in this room, are uncomfortable with the way we've talked about it. And maybe you're like, okay, I'm not going to say anything because a lot of people are amening him right now, so I'm not going to raise my negative question. Um, and I understand that. This book is not the strongest polemical book on that topic. When I use the word polemical, what I mean is making an argument against a bad position. DeYoung presents it and just declares it and kind of moves on with a, with a simple level of argument. But if you thought to yourself, I need to have this more proved to me, I would recommend you pick up the book Decision Making and the Will of God by Gary Friesen. But it's the difference in reading here a book that's less than 200 pages and reading a 500-page book on this topic. But Friesen knocks it out of the park, just making the argument for the will of God that we're required to know and resting in our freedom. That said, let's pray. Lord, thank you for letting us study. Now be glorified as we break and come back to worship you in gathered worship today. Lord, bless your church. Help us to rest in your sovereign will, to obey your will of command, and know that you've given us sweet freedom in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.